Welcome back to The Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. They're with us tonight to play first, that haunting driver's seat, Sniffing the Tears. Oh, thank you so much for that. <laughs> I, I totally forgot that I had a beard. Which is about the last time I did have a beard, actually. <laughs> I, I grew, grew this when the COVID thing started. Right, like, yeah. So what, what, does that, what memories does that bring back, Rick, for you? Oh, was, well, I mean, actually, it was a strange day because I know when I got in my car to drive to the, to the BBC to do it, it was, my car was flat, the battery was flat. <laughs> I didn't know what... I had so what I ended up doing. I didn't know what to do. I was I had you know I was running against the clock, so I didn't have time to get anyone out. So I got the battery out of the car, stuck it on my shoulder, and walked it around the corner to the nearest garage. Bought a new battery. <laughs> the process. I'd spilt all this battery acid all over my all over the very shirt I was wearing. No way. <laughs> I was wearing to the to the studio. I didn't go and do and so that, so about two or two or three days later that, that shirt was was just a bunch of ripped rain. <laughs> well that'll teach you a lesson for doing acid just before you go on the T V. Oh, yeah. oh very good. <laughs> <laughs> Ka-ching. Um, yeah. It was a strange time because they wanted me to uh, they wanted me to join the band and of course it was a time when TCC was a little bit, you know, in between stuff. And um, but I, I still my loyalties were squarely with Tensei, and I didn't want to. Um, I, I so I, I, I couldn't. I said no, I can't. I can't, can't join the band, but of course I'll do your TV and I'll do the album. And so I did the album uh, with a guy called Les Davidson, who's a very fine player, because he, he they got him in as uh, again as a, as a second guitar player. And in the course of doing the album, which was in Chipping Norton actually, unbeknownst to me, Les Davidson had said yes, I'll join the band. So. Mm. Through the course of the recording the album, uh, they kept giving Les all, all the all the guitar stuff, and, and I couldn't work out what was going on. You know, and, uh, anyway, it transpired at the end that uh, he was then a member of the band, and I was the black sheep who. Jamie Lane, the drummer who I've known since Cambridge, um, uh, I ended up getting him in. He, he played with 10 Steve for about 1983, I think it was. Oh, yeah, he was in the touring band, wasn't he? Mm. Right, so that was Jamie Lane on the drums. Okay, great. Ah, oh, fantastic. Did you record it at, at Steve Winwood's place at Chipping Norton, uh, the, the, the Island Studios place? It was quite a quite a famous studio in Chipping Norton, but I can't remember. Yeah, what's it called? XTC uh, did um, none such there with with Gus Dudgeon. What's it called? I can't remember. Yeah. It's quite well. It's probably the same one. It's not a big place, Chipping Norton. It's just north of where I, I was brought up, actually in Oxford. Yeah. Um, but you know, they had it was a place that had the rooms and everything. It was a really good studio. Yeah, it does sound so, like it does sound like the place that I think Chris Blackwell and and Stevie Winwood might have set up. I was, I was reading a brilliant uh, book by the, the engineer Phil Brown, which is such a good book, and, and he, he, he talks a lot about the sessions there. It sounded like an amazing place. Oh, 
folks. Welcome to the podcast again. We're very pleased to welcome back Rick Fenn for a rematch today. Um, during the last conversation, he gave us a great, candid and honest and humorous um, conversation about 10cc. Um, and today we're going to look at the rest of his bulging CV. Um, so welcome back to the podcast, Rick. Hi there, Rick. Great to have you back. Can we start with uh, Mike Oldfield? It says in Liam's book, I think this is correct, shortly after um, it, you were told sort of in mid-80 that, that NCC might be winding down for a while. You, you were, wasn't long before you were working with, with Mike, um, very quickly, in fact. How, how, did that, how did that come about? Well, actually, that was quite, quite interesting. It was unusually sort of um, brazen of me. Well, yeah, this was, this was uh, quite soon after. Well, Eric and Graham pretty much declared that they were ra- wrapping up. So there wasn't really, there was no indication that, that we were going to re- resurface, Al- although we I suppose we'd sort of hoped it. But so I, I really did have to consider my future as, as being, you know, wherever it, uh, I took myself. But um, a friend of mine who I, who I had met uh, was managing Pierre Moulin, who was the drummer. Mm. I've got a band called Gong, you remember that? Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he was the drummer at Gong, but he also played with Mike Oldfield, and um, and and he said he was looking for new blood to do a tour or something. So I said, "Well, give me give me Mike's number." <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just called him up to straight, and he actually funny, he's the sort of guy you could do that to because he. Um, so I, he was a bit kind of okay, on the phone, and I said, "I just let you know that this is as just as I." As you probably would have imagined, Tensis did have quite a good cred, so yeah. he said part of that band. You know, it was a fairly good flag to wave. You know, and um, uh, so I just let him know that um, that I was around and available. So, and then we hung up. I actually thought nothing more of it. I just thought it was a kind of yes, thanks very much. Oh no, okay, last we'll call you sort of thing, and uh, it was polite enough. And then about a month or two later. He called me up and said, well, yes, I'm... Because Mike had previously, uh, the only talk, really touring he'd done, he'd, he'd done as him, the kind of, you know, frontman guy who, who had an MD who created a band behind him, or, you know, like an orchestra band, almost, when he did the first Jimmy Bell stuff. That's right. I, I actually saw his, his his second ever gig. Actually, Rick, um, the, the first it's the first concert I ever went to, uh, Wembley Conference Centre '79, and I I saw him again the year after at Wembley Arena, just before you joined, I think, of June 1980. I, it, was, it was wonderful, but it had changed so much in a year. It very much felt more like a band in 1980. It was a, a marvellous well, gig. How big was the band the second time you, you saw it? Um, I, I, it wasn't as big. It wasn't as orchestral-looking as the first tour. Yeah. Um, and it had, you know, people like Pierre uh, playing drums, etc. Um, I, I have a feeling it was a similar band to the one that you went out on tour with. When I joined, I'm pretty sure it was the smallest ensemble that he'd ever had. It was, li- it was literally, um, I think it was six of us, that included Maggie. Mm. 
Because Maggie Riley would have probably been in the one that you saw, was she? Yes. I don't know. Yes, she was. It, I mean, it was <laughs> extraordinary time. Mike had done his, just done his album, Taurus, or whatever it was. And, uh, QE2. So we've all convened at his time. And, and Mike had, he does, he tends to swing from one extreme to the other. What, previous band, I don't know about the second time we saw him, but I know he started off completely alienated himself from, from the people that band around him. And he ended up doing that again as well. Mm. Two yeah. two, just after my time with him, really. And, uh, and, but then he decided that he wanted to be a band, you know, and he wanted everyone to share everything, not necessarily equally, but everyone would be in on it. And he wanted a nice, small, compact band and be a, you know, part of it and everything. And, um, and that's the that's the attitude that he was had prevailed that, that I, when, I, when I joined because I'd never known him before that, uh, knew him by reputation, you know, respected him and everything. And the first thing we did, we did this tour of Spain, and you know, we were he did he, he wanted to share uh, share uh, the love, you know. So, uh, but of course, we were all you know even at that point, I suppose I could consider myself a, a session musician, and <laughs> you wanted to know what you were getting, you know. But there was no promise of anything, but. Uh, anyway, the way he wanted to do this tour was to get all get in a little plane, a little eight-seater plane, and fly, literally fly to Barcelona, <laughs> and uh, and then fly from gig to gig during, during this um, tour. And, and the very first gig I did with him was in Barcelona. I think it was in front of 600,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was big for the festival, obviously. It wasn't just him, but it was, it was right at the top of that amazing... Um, Street, you know, it was a very extraordinary spectacle, no, mm. really extraordinary. Of course, down at the bottom there was there was a whole fairground set up. I mean, it included everyone that was, you know, that was vaguely in. The, yeah, I mean, it was a ridiculous, ridiculous situation. And uh, and we we didn't have very long to sort of get this get this the whole act up to speed. And then we went on to do the rest of the tour, which it also involved this fateful flight. Uh, from actually, I think it was Barcelona to San Sebastian, where the, the, the flight traffic control gave us gave the, the pilot, who's a young bloke who'd never done this before, a young English guy who invented this whole thing on. They gave him the wrong, uh, air, you know, report, and he fl we flew straight into a hurricane. I mean, and it was we what we really thought we were going to die. It was we were this is a little tiny plane, and we were just oh, being dropped. 300 feet in two seconds and up again and uh was that rick sorry was that the inspiration for five miles out i seem i seem to remember that as a story yeah yeah that that was it i was in that plane Oh, wow! That, that that song was about that um, that flight, and and I mean we were just sitting in the back of this vomit everywhere. There was just you couldn't see anything, but hear anything. It was just absolutely. Oh amazing. God! And when when we landed, the pilot you know owned up. He he really thought that was it. That was our that was all you know, all over. Good so Lord. nine lives, I guess. But, uh, so yeah, you know, very eventful. And then then actually uh, after that. Yeah, we did, did another couple of tours of Germany. It actually worked out really well for, for all of us, actually, because even though we were nervous about uh, not getting a sort of set wage, we actually all made plenty of money out of those tours. You know, but for those days, it was good money. And, uh, and that all, all went very well up until 
the, well, the recording of five, uh, five Miles Out was a successful, really good, fun time. And of course, it precipitated, the, you know, the, the, the songs that I co-wrote uh, with, with them as well, which has served me very well. Family Man, is, which we, you know, has done, me, has done me and all the guys quite well. Yes. And that was a happy time, but um, I'm... Stop me if I'm leap, leaping. Yeah, yeah well, uh, we'd like to talk about, um, well, just go back a little bit, Rick, because there's, I'm sure you've seen this, there's some great footage of the entire concert at Montreux, I think, from 1981, which must have been shortly, up, one of the earliest live gigs you did, I guess, or quite early on in the Fairly in early career. On, yeah. And because Mike is anything but jazz, you know. <laughs> I mean, it, yes, yes. It would have killed me that. There we were at the jazz festival, but yeah. That was it. Was it was? There were fun days. I, I really enjoyed touring with Mike. Actually, it wasn't like a music I sit down and listen to much, but I did used to really enjoy playing it live, and we we had a lot of laughs together. That little band. Mm. It's it's a great band. I mean, I I am I think Sean too. We're fans, particularly of early Mike Oldfield. You sort of consider like Tubular Bells and Hergus Ridge and Omadorn really the the great pieces. Absolutely, and particularly particularly Omadorn for me. Yeah, that's yeah. that's my favourite. So so, and I love his insular way of recording. It, it brings out something really special. So I was always a bit of a purist, and I don't think I'd ever watched the sort of 81 recordings but when i watched that it, it's got such a lot of energy even though it's it's kind of a translation of those pieces because you do omidorn and tubular bells or part of it mm. it really is is a little bit looser and it sounds fantastic mm. in a live setting yeah yeah I, I i don't know what it was but there was something about it i used to really enjoy the volume was unbelievable on stage I, I, i'm amazed i've still got ears that work you know <laughs> <laughs> Like Mike Oldfield would be guilty of having an on-stage sound that was like a being in the middle of a you know a, a, the engine of a seven four seven. But these these massive studio speakers, you know, each one of us had our own. It was one of the early times that people we each had our own little mixer. But my, the, you know, I had my own studio monitor that, that could have taken your head off. Wow! Right. But no matter what I did with mine, you couldn't hear a thing because all the <laughs> <laughs> speakers. So I don't know how he, one hears, like his hearing did end up suffering a bit, but uh, right, uh, yeah. And, and when when we did that, probably probably that Montreux was part of a um a general tour. We did a couple of very biggest tours, mostly German. I think it was. We went all over the place in Scandinavia, mm. and uh, it was really successful. Everything was sold out, and we had a lot. You know, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a great, a great band. Well, yeah, can you tell us about the writing of Family Man then? Which, as I understand, is actually all six of you uh, are credited on the creation of that song of the, in the band. I think. I it was certainly that's the way it was credited. Okay. <laughs> well, well, can you tell us how it was written then? <laughs> well, it it actually started with that ding ang ding ang ding ang ding ang ding 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 which was a riff I was playing, and we were all jamming along on that riff. And okay. Uh, Mike Fry was playing the drums, but 
Well, uh, Tim Cross had a great deal to do with the song. I'll give him credit. That, that's the keyboard player, right? Is that is that right? One of the many of the band have died. Pierre's died. Oh, Tim Cross has died. Morris died. Uh, uh, sorry, um, uh, Morris Pert's died. Oh. Anyway, but um, uh, yeah, so we do. We we did. We we got the song pretty much done. Well, it was just me, Mike, and. Uh, and but then there was a sort of a, a, a act of magnanimity. It was uh, it was spread the existing band. Now I could get into trouble for saying that, but <laughs> said it. Um, okay. I think I, I think Maggie changed a couple of words. Um, Morris wasn't there at all, but it, it was it was. And that's perfectly fair. I don't really object to that. Really, it was in the spirit of it. But the trouble is, the spirit of the band changed quite quickly after that. But there was, I think I was. Well, two things happened. And it was one of the one of the most dreadful brief periods of my life, because at this point Mike had actually become a mainstay of my my income. Really, you know, I was he had lots of plans, plenty of touring going on, and uh, and then Eric and Graham suddenly surfaced and said they 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 uh, wanted to uh, to tour a, a new album, which I think I, I did play as you know. But, uh, mm-hmm. but suddenly this tour popped up, and it popped up right. Incredibly, right in in between uh, Mike Oldfield, I think a UK tour and Europe tour, and what was the world tour, which was uh, which was about five four five month tour going through America and down to Australia and then back up through through Europe, and uh, but the ten cc slotty right in the middle, which is very convenient. And of course, I wanted to do it, so I, I left it and I did it halfway through the the ten cc tour. Uh, I had a lot of grief from my then wife, um, and it was completely understandable. We had two young babies, and she didn't want me to be going off around the world straight on the back of what would have been already two tours when I'd been away. Mm. It, was, it was domestic stuff, but it was it was in a, an attempt to rescue my um, my marriage. I uh, I had to make the decision to blow Mike out. Of the, you know, to withdraw from the world tour, which is a really hellish decision because I didn't know whether Entity was really going to continue mm. from this. There was no promise of where we were mm. going to go. Um, it was very close to my heart. Entity, really close to my heart. Of course. So, um, oh my goodness! So I, I made a decision to to call Mike just two weeks before the tour started, which which was terrible, and I knew how what a terrible thing to do to him that was. But I kept putting off and said to do it. I remember that night that I did it from the hotel and then went off to do a 10cc gig. This was down somewhere in Cornwall. I think. Oh. And I suddenly got incredibly ill, literally on stage. I just this whole thing just caught up with me and I, and I was actually virtually taken off, taken off at the end of the gig on a stretcher. Wow. Oh. I got over it. But, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I had to blow the tour out and Tim Rennick actually was brought in uh, the last minute to, to, replaced me, which he did admirably, of course, the great player that he is. Um, but it, so after that, after that 10 cc tour, I was at a loose end at home with having given away my principal job at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't sure what the future was because I, I attempted to get more into session work, work but session work is a whole side of session work that involves reading and stuff, which I wasn't very good at. I tried to get better at it. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was a difficult position to be in, and this is before I'd really 
established myself or, or, or just, you know, I've done a bit of stuff, a bit of writing with Graham and stuff, but I had, uh, uh, over the years I had touched on it, but I, I wasn't confident about it. I didn't know quite what to go with it. Yeah, so I, for, for a while I was really a loose end. As it happens, I started, uh, I, I just helped form a little band uh, with a guy called Raph Ravenscroft, who was, um, uh, who was quite, who's a saxophone player, died as well. Um, famous for doing the sax riff on the, on the, uh, um, the Rafferty song. Yeah. Oh, well, well, I yeah, thought, yeah, you know, yeah. it's his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, but but he, he's, he's <laughs> we can't what to say. But anyway, um, it, it was with actually, strangely enough, it, it, it was, this was with um, uh, a drummer from, from Mike Oldfield, and that's how I, the connection actually happened. Uh, a guy called Dave, bloody what was his name? It was in a band called Fashion Time. Oh, yeah, I know, I remember them. Trendy kind of, um, kind of indie, new, new romantic-y sort of band, yeah, wasn't it, Fashion? Yeah. They were good, though. They were really good. And, and Rick Wright was the keyboard player, which, ah. which was the so, so he was the sort of, you know. So this all um, sort of was set up, but it, it wasn't going well, in my opinion. There wasn't much evidence that, there was, that we had, there was a creative force behind this, but I was sort of going along with it, not knowing what else to do. And then I suddenly got a call from Mike, who said that uh, someone else in the band, the band they ended up going around the world with, included a girl, as well as Maggie Riley, another girl, <laughs> who wasn't working out very well. She was playing keyboards and singing back and, back and, back and vocals with Maggie. And in spite of what I'd done to the poor guy, you know, bless him, he he offered me to rejoin the band when they finished the Australian leg and came back for the Europe leg, which is still quite long, about like two months or so. And of course, I, I had I, I wanted to do it. You know, it was obvious I had to do this. This is something that I, I trust. So I I did abandon Raf and the rest of them. But to be fair, I don't think it was really anything going on there. So and I rejoined um, Mike. In Oslo, I think it was. And, um, Not um, as keyboard player, as guitarist again. Mostly, actually, yes. Keyboard <laughs> playing and singing. Wow. I was a replacement. But bit by bit, I started playing guitar and the thing morphed into a situation where me and Tim were both playing guitar. Uh, but Tim, you know, is a really good friend of mine. He's a lovely, lovely guy, a lovely player. Um, and this was wow. when Pierre was in the band. The, 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 first, the first tours we did, I did with Mike Pierre wasn't in it. It was Morris Perth and Mike Fry, who was the percussionist, the LSO percussionist. Yeah. And so, uh, unfortunately, things started souring, you know, as things do. I think Mike's got a, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got a few issues. And uh, whatever it was, that a rift started, or he, as he felt it, a rift was like the appear between the band and him. Uh, somehow putrefied in a way that uh, mm. that uh, uh, at the end of it all, uh, I think he had a complete rethink again. Um, but it was it was still good fun, but not as good fun as the first three tours. Sure, these are fa- these are fascinating insights, uh, Rick. I have to say, can I ask where the re- the recording of of Ten CC's Windows in the Jungle fitted in around your time with Mike Oldfield and, and the other band? Well, you're right because. When we did that tour that slotted in between the Mike Oldfield tours, we must have already, I'm a little trouble remembering the sequence of events, how it happened, but we must have done um, 
I must have done the sessions for that album, yeah. which we did in Sudbury North, I think. Yes, yes. And, uh, and it was, you know, at that point, we were, as, as I explained to you before, we were, the rest of us were sort of functioned more as session players in the band. And, uh, and, and likewise, the actual our recording function like that as well. So we would actually go up and do a set period. It might have been three weeks or something, two or three weeks. I can't actually remember. I could find out. Written down somewhere, but it, it wasn't a long period. But, but I, I actually do remember playing and singing quite a lot on that album. I certainly I felt quite involved in that album. But it was still, you know, at this point there was a new politic, and it was Eric Graham's uh, um, album, and they, there wasn't any co-writing or anything like that. But it was still very jolly. We, we really, was, I remember it was a really, really fun time recording it. And I guess the tour they set up on the back of that. Um, was the one that spotted in, in between that time. And it was, I think it was quite successful. And we weren't, we weren't doing the Wembley, you know, arenas and, and NECs. We were doing, we were back down to sort of like Hemsworth Odium type places, I think. Hmm. Yes, yeah, sort of slightly more modest venues, but I think we did quite well. Yeah. What were your thoughts on the album, Rick? Because um, for Paul and I, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I like the, the, the fact that 10CC seemed to be reaching further out... Uh, as a kind of a, a kind of more an AOR or a more kind of credible rock outfit, which is good. We like the fact that it's attempting to be a concept album as well. Um, but um, you know, we have reservations about some of the songs. What, what are your own views? If you can remember. You know, you know what's really embarrassing about this? <laughs> you know how it is. Um, I haven't actually heard that album for so long that I'd probably have to do that to, to be able to answer your questions. So I, I, I have a, just a general impression that the album, once again, and I say once again because it was all mirrored in, uh, in Look Here, uh, just didn't quite have the... The that's the one song, you know, um, and I thought there was I thought there were some good songs on the album for sure, um, but it didn't seem to have the one, and the, there was a, and when it turned out they didn't have the one, you know, there was no there was no definitive hit off the album, um, so it, you know I think there was still something left of of, of whatever. Whatever was going on with Eric Graham, I think that they, 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 they somehow you know, spilled into that one as well. But you know, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was good, but, but it, I don't think, um, I think if you ask Graham, you probably have asked Graham. I don't think he would uh, disagree that it, it wasn't as fine, the finest album. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah he, correct. He, yeah. he did, he did agree with that. Rick, thank you for being so candid about just giving us the context of, you know, um, I guess at the end of the day, at that period you were like a self-employed person. We see you as a high-profile musician playing with some of the, you know, biggest artists in the world, but but the practical side of it is not as glamorous as all that. You've, you've got to try and keep working, essentially. You know, this is curious because being a freelance musician can be can actually be quite scary. And I you yes. know people you think, they, you think they're working all the time, you think they're high-flying, but actually they're often worried from one view to the other. Things changed for me quite a lot once I got a foothold in the world of, of composing. 
Mm. And that right. really with my with my introduction to Nick. It wasn't like that was the first time I'd written. I, I'd written um, quite a lot of things, but there was nowhere to go with them. There was nowhere to take them. I wasn't that solo artist. Mm. I didn't have it. There wasn't really an option to be a solo artist. I wasn't a, I wasn't a front man at NTC. There was no one waiting for me to do a solo album. You know, I might have, might have gone down that way, but, it, but I was still young to the whole process. So I needed to really cut my teeth, which I did principally over the time I was starting the album with the, the Profiles album, I'd say. And that actually, once I got an intro into the into commercial music i mean like um uh um writing music for commercials which i did started yes. doing mm. which as, as it happens because the next enormous profile you know and mine wasn't bad we got some pretty choice commercials so they weren't ones to be ashamed of there wasn't all soap adverts it was more alcohol and fast cars and Mm. You know, it, it was, we, nice. we, we did the, the uh, uh, one for the um, uh, Super Bowl. I might even have told you that already, but it was no, don't it, it was very hard. It was a very big one at the time. It was the most expensive commercial ever made for Timex. Oh. Uh, yeah. Set in the Red Sea, uh, diving for this, anyway, whatever it was. It was a minute commercial broadcast on once only on Super Bowl. That's the biggest yeah. advertising spot in the world, isn't it? That the yeah, and I don't think I even realised the significance of this at the time. Wow. But this is the kind of uh, um, clout that Nick could bring to the game. Mm. Uh, anyway, so you know, with, with all a few of those things behind me, things like that, uh, I had the cred to. The, and, and writing music is, is a lot more security in that somehow. At least it was for me. So uh, I don't, once once I established that, uh, I didn't find quite the same. Sense of insecurity, but being just a session player, yeah, that's pretty scary. That's pretty scary. And even though when I look back at it, you know, I'd only just when well, I had Family Man, which is top of the charts everywhere, and I had yeah. uh, Dreadlock Holiday, it was only a couple of years old, you know, and I and I was playing, so, and yet it didn't seem to, it didn't seem to, you know, people would have assumed that that I was, you know, I was driving around in Ferraris. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, life is quite modest. Um, what, tell, what, what do you think of um, uh, leaving aside the financial gain, which must have been great? What did you think of the Hall and Oates version of Family Man art, from an artistic point of view? Because it's quite different to the, to the original version. enough i was most struck by how similar it was okay. obviously it was sung by a man so the lyric had to twist to, to yeah. accommodate that but i thought there were many aspects of it uh that they took from the mic over like that but they took my riff yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and they and they took that little funny little thing which was oh yeah yeah okay right <laughs> 
a real quirky thing, which you'd think that would just be a Michael Field thing, but no, they they did that as well. I, I, I was actually, I really liked it. Yeah. I really liked it. Paul and I both think it's a cracking song. I love, I loved it at the time. I, I thought you know, we didn't know a thing about it. You know, we didn't know, we didn't know they'd done this until it was in the charts. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> well, that's something nice to wake up to, isn't it? It was the first time I was perhaps considered a little bit more how how you know whether whether it should have been split between the whole band but you know yes uh, right okay it's when it's something successful then it suddenly brings a bit of the focus on it yeah made plenty of money out of that that was good brilliant tell us about the profiles album itself with 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 nick mason how how did you sort of get to that gig if you like actually it was the it was a uh, eric had a small party and in fact i think it was the same party i think it might be the first one the time i've met long Okay. Eric and Lowell fell out a bit, you know, they weren't, they didn't really uh, see each other for a little while, in spite of the fact that they had sisters that were married. Yes. But I think uh, the the riff was a bit raw for a while. But he was there, the first time I met him, it was very nice to meet meet Lowell, but the other person who was there was Nick, and who's uh, uh, a good friend of of Eric. Uh, And and, uh, I think the connection was, was Carl's, because... Eric, at that point, had a very nice car collection. Yeah. As you probably know, as the biggest private car collection, I think, in the world. Mm. Yeah. And it's really very impressive because he's, um, he's a smart guy, Nick. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's got a good nose for business and, uh, and he loves his cars and, he, and he's, they, they, they work for him very well. But um, at the time, he was, he was racing, not Formula One, but he was racing pretty high end. <coughs> and... Uh, uh, a guy who later on became quite a friend of mine, Mike Shackleton, uh, was directing or writing and directing a little thirty-minute film <clears throat> uh, about about him and his passion for for, for cars. The film uh, "School Life Could Be a Dream," uh, which was uh, which was uh, you know a, a reference to an old Mills Brothers song. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I went I went looking for this well, film. Don't know whether you did. Book. The song was actually called Shaboom Shaboom. I, think, uh, I, I know it well. Something is on my mind. Da, 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 da. If you do what I want you to, baby, we'll be so fine. And for, in the course of the film, actually, um, I'll just leave you a little bit here, but we, um, yeah. we needed to re record that song. Mm. So uh, we actually got Eric in to sing, sing it. So mm. he, he actually sings. Our version on that film. Oh, life could be a dream if I could take you up in paradise up above. If you would tell me I'm the only one that you love, life could be a dream, sweetheart. Hello, hello again. Shaboom, I'm home, we'll meet again. But the, the, the thing that really kicked it off was um, uh, Eric introduced me to Nick as a possible person to, uh, uh, to write with him. Um, because Nick's, Nick doesn't really have a, a, a lot of, a lot of uh, history of, of writing. Mm. Uh, so he needed, he needed uh, help. So uh, I was basically given, uh, he tentatively, you know, gave me a go. So I was briefed on, on, on what, uh, what, what, approximately the, the, the parameters of, of an opening piece of music, which was well, actually the, the, uh, the main piece of music on the album. It's quite long, you know, like, yeah. mm. and, um, 
and that was written to some extent with, with, with sections in mind uh, for the film, but most uh, for most of it, the, the film was then cut to the music. But um, it was went out very nicely, and I really I was happy with it. Nick loved it. Mike Sackler, the director, loved it, and so we were off and running really. And I, I then went. Um, there was odd other bits for the film, but Nick subsequently said, "This is, you know, I'd love to maybe do a solo album or an album together." Mm-hmm. Uh, and he basically was doing it on the back of uh, his prerogative to do a solo album with uh, CBS, CBS and EMI, CBS in America and EMI, and mm-hmm. whatever it was. Um, yeah. Nick had a, a deal basically with the Floyd where they can all everyone in the band could do solo albums, and this is how we chose to do it just choose to do it with me. So I was given a completely free, it was ludicrous, really looking back, freedom <laughs> I had, you know, because I'm a bit of a loner doing this. Really, I like to sit in my pod and uh, and do stuff, and, and an awful lot of it came together like that, and then running it by Nick, and you know pitch in a little bit but you know basically I, I had an incredibly free hand for that album it was real joy you know there's not often you can you know we, we decided we did want a couple of songs but mostly I, I could just indulge myself yeah and it must have been lovely flexing those old proggy muscles rick uh, yeah uh, yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. in the uh in the title track i i really like profiles part one and two yeah, yeah um, me too and there's a bit in there uh, um where i would you know once i hear a funny time signature i try and work it out by tapping on the kitchen table there's a i presume you did this there's a bit in there where it i think it does a 13 and then a 12 you just add a <laughs> tiny little extra beat <laughs> And it, it you know the bit I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it. Was, yeah, it was. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... Don't really do those these 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 days, but it was. Uh, I guess we did in those days. <laughs> no, it's marvelous. Twenty five or six to four. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Lovely. And um, I uh, I really smiled the other day. I was listening to listening to the album, Rick, while I was decorating my man cave. Um, it, it was. I was really enjoying it. There's a bit near the end of Profiles One and Two that really reminds me of of. In That Quiet Earth by Genesis from the Wind and Wuthering album, um, and which is a, an instrumental I really like. I don't think Paul shares my, my love for it. I but don't like that one. D- no. d- did you, were you aware of any kind of Genesis influence creeping in? I certainly wasn't aware of it. I mean, the truth is, if, if ever you become aware of some of that, it becomes an obstacle. Mm. Right? No, no, I certainly no. I, I wasn't. I wasn't uh, aware of it. But, but, but I, as I said to you before, Genesis was one of the great influences. I mean, I still think they're 
fabulous band. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Any particular um, bits of their work, Rick, that you're particularly fond of? Um, Well, all all the old stuff. But I remember Lamb Lamb Lies Down on Broadway came out when I was in the band Gentlemen, and we used to worship them. And actually, I'll tell you a funny little thing. Anecdote here. There's this young bloke who, who just who was sort of managing us as the band, but don't forget the band was just living in a bedsit somewhere <laughs> waiting for more discovery. But he he worked for Charisma Records mm. and Genesis Tour in Manchester, and we had a rehearsal room in some grubby little um, you know derelict house somewhere, <laughs> 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 and uh, he got them. He all he got them all down. No, what? Not, not Peter. I'd love, love it if, if Peter had been there. But Phil, uh, uh, yeah, it was some. Uh, Phil, Tony, Mike, and Steve. Yes. Yes. Wow. Bloody hell. I know. I know. And, and Phil was fantastic. I mean, the others oh. actually wouldn't blame him at all. They all stood out in the corridor <laughs> in this tiny room. Small in this, and uh, Phil, bless him, he came in and spat me out on the floor right in the middle of us. Even after doing one of the songs again, so fantastic. I know. I thought it was a very special moment for us. It didn't come to anything. It wasn't supposed to come to anything really, but it was a huge, huge event for us. Oh, what a thrill! (laughs) Yeah, Um, I'm not sure which song you meant, which piece you mean in in profile. But was it the? It's the, the very, it's the very end section, and there's a kind of a, a whistly keyboard solo, very kind of yeah. high, high register whistly sound, that reminds me of Tony Banks's keyboard solo in in that Quiet Earth. Uh, look, I used to do and all that Portamento stuff. What hmm. was odd about that album is that I I did, and I, it's funny enough. I, obviously, I don't have you know how it is. You don't listen to any stuff for years and years. But yeah. I listen to it and I. It, it dawned on me how little guitar there was in so big sections on it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think about that at the time, and and quite a lot of the and a lot of the stuff I did, you know, with um, uh, Nick subsequently, film stuff and uh, and commercials and stuff, often was very keyboard based. And when Nick wrote his book, uh, he you know he made a, 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 a brief reference to um, to working with me. And he described me as a keyboard player. Like, <laughs> you bastard! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I saw him and I said this to him. And I said, what, you know? Anyway, he felt a bit, a bit embarrassed about it. But then I sort of thought about it and I thought, well, really, he, he spent more time looking at me on keyboards than he did on guitar. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is my own fault, really. I, 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 I suppose I was just, I had all the toys. This is when all the toys were arriving and I got a new DX7 and I got this and I profit. And, and, uh, and you know, that's what I was playing with. I'd come, I'd break up. There was, yeah, it's a fair bit of guitar on it, but masses of it was just quite keyboard oriented. So let the fire within me burn. You know something I should learn. But I don't know which way to turn. Still I turn. I would take it as a compliment, uh, Rick. I mean, <laughs> listening to to your stuff with Peter Howarth, which Paul and I would really like to to delve into, um, there's an incredible um, versatility uh, of your playing, uh, as much guitar as as keyboard. Um, oh, it's yeah, very I mean, impressive. Is that I I I, I, I I certainly wanted the world to perceive me as a guitarist, and right. so when I came to Australia, for instance. 
I know I sort of hung up my quill a little bit then when I, when I left England because I couldn't be asked to try and re-establish a writing career over here, especially mm. in a place like Barrow, a small town. And uh, I, I know I had the attitude. No, I want to. I want to be re. I want to. Uh, I want to redefine myself as a guitarist, which is what I've actually done here quite successfully. Oh, okay. I quite like. That. But at the same time, I'm very proud of what I've done. And what, uh, I'm not sorry about any of that. Mm. Can you tell us about um, your relationship with Peter Howarth and how that came about? I, I take it that was kind of around the early nineties. Is that right? That would have been that would have been nineteen ninety. I think it was one. I broke up with my first wife and I moved into a um, a, a flat in London, in Putney in London. And uh, the day I moved in, I, I uh, getting my stuff into the house, I ripped through uh, my left hand. <sighs> Uh, a couple of tendons and muscles and nerves and everything in, in my first finger. And um, <laughs> this was on the eve of quite a lot of, of important work that I had to abandon that. But um, uh, when I finally recovered, which was, which was the, you know, quite a process, about three months of, of, uh, of um, I had microsurgery and all, all sorts of things. But wow. uh, my friend Tim Rennick from the Alpha there, uh, he was just, he'd just been, had the call to go out with Pink Floyd. And uh, at the time, he was playing guitar in the West End show at Time. Remember that? Yes. Yes, the Dave, Dave Clark, Clark thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he asked me, could I get for him in, in, the, in the show? Hmm. And really, I, I was, I hadn't recovered enough, but I just... I, uh, I said yes because I wanted someone to drive me, and it, did, it actually did make me work very, very hard. Truth is, I wasn't quite ready, ready for it. But I went down uh, to the to the show, and Pete Howarth was one of the singers uh, in the in the vocal booth. Hmm. Uh, okay. Let me tell you, people, I was So it was a fantastic bunch of musicians in there, as often happens, you know, a lot of shows end up with some of the cream of session players because it's, just, it's regular money, mm-hmm. as we talked about before. And, uh, and he and I, I don't know, we got on very, very well. We got a pub and uh, And, uh, I, I, you know, I could, not that I really heard him as a lead singer, but I could hear he, he had a great voice. And we got on very well. And... Uh, then I, I, it was probably a while later, actually, probably a few weeks, maybe a month later, uh, there was one particular job I had from McEwen's Lager commercial, hmm. uh, where I was asked to, to uh, a song called Straight, Walk in a Straight Line, I was given the title, basically, and I, and I, and I, and I wrote this, uh, this song for, um, for the commercial, and I, I thought, well, maybe I'll see if Pete can do it, you know, so I gave him a call, came in, and he just nailed it, totally. In fact, that that did very well for me. That, that actually uh, actually got a I I, I got a, a, a gold Clio award for, for that piece. But wow. uh, you know, oh right, is, is that an advertising uh, industry award? New York. Um, award, I think it was, but uh, I mean, didn't go to the right. It was quite an accolade, actually, at the time. <clears throat> I, mean, I, was a singer. I loved working with him, just in that 
small context. And then I had another opportunity. Someone asked me to write music for uh, a title sequence for a, uh, a, a prospective film called No Man's Land, ah. which never actually got made, I don't think. And that happens a lot, as you probably imagine. So yeah. anyway, I pitched a song <coughs> called No Man's Land. And I thought, well, let's have a go. I'll just see if Pete and I might work together as a writing team. So I got him in and it was just like magic. Uh, uh, I think for him as well. But even now, it's, it's on the album, No Man. Yes, and that was the first thing we ever recorded together, or wrote together. In fact, Walking a Straight Line was before that. But uh, No Man's Land was our first attempt at working together. And uh, I think uh, it was, uh, yeah, a, a epiphany, really. At that point, we was, you know, I was still doing what I do, which was writing to commission, and uh, and Pete was was doing sessions. He was, he was fairly well established in the session world, so we both had our own little world. And then, um, again, stop me from leaving ahead too much. But no, go carry for on. It, go for it. It's fascinating. The, the bit, the big uh, next leap was actually from Pete, which because he he knew uh, Bill Kenwright quite well. Him and Sarah, both, his wife Sarah, both worked in the, on the Joseph oh, musical for, many, for a year or more, I think, maybe a couple of years. Not as a singer. Pete was a guitarist. Yeah. <laughs> Pete is actually a really fine guitar player, I think. Yeah, I assume it's him um, playing guitar on his own acoustic version of uh, He Ain't Heavy's My Brother. Is that yeah, him yeah. playing? <laughs> a wonderful playing. He's an amazing acoustic player, and yeah. he's actually a, he's a great player all round. It's a wonderful guitar player, wonderful feel. With many a winding turn, that leads us to knows where, who knows where. And, um, but he doesn't, you know, not many people know that. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, Sarah uh, danced in the show, uh, his wife, Sarah, and he was playing guitar. And, and so they, they were very, you know, they were, they were, they were pawns, very much pawns. And, and, and Bill Kenwright was the, was the big chief. But they had a, a friendly relationship um, with Bill. And, uh, uh, you know, like a, they, you know, they, uh, to some extent, they might even social, socialise uh, together. This is after they finished that show. But Bill must have come to Pete and said, "Look, up. it was actually a strange story because Bill was lo- was losing Joseph the right to tour Joseph. Mm. This is because they did bring Joseph into the West End. So Andrew Webber basically he took it off Bill, and uh, Bill had this um, uh, crazed idea to write his own version of Joseph and take it out. So I mean, Bill Kent writes Joseph in the room. <laughs> Um, anyway, he asked Pete and I to, if we wanted to have a go at writing it. Oh, no, he asked Pete, and then Pete came to me. And then we basically we, we wrote I Believe in My Dreams, which was, uh, um, I don't know, if it's funny enough, I, I was actually relearning how to play that today on the piano because there's a guy in town here who might want to 
It went really well. I think I do think it's a great song, and it was a, it was an example of it just poured out of us in, in no time at all. In the afternoon, we had it recorded, took it into Bill. He absolutely went lula about it, you know, and um, and then just gave us the green light. So Pete and I just started great because we were very unsure about musicals. I'm not a big fan of modern musicals, and yeah. uh, and, and it's such a monumental task trying to sort of trying to conceive something as big as a musical, because you, if you're trying to do everything, write effectively. Write the book and the music, yeah. Yeah, you're actually, in the case of that, it was a sing-through, so then the whole story and song. So it's yeah. very difficult to get your head around, but it's, at the same time, it's incredibly gratifying when you start pulling it together, because it's a very, it's a huge and a complete art form. Anyway, we, we got in, we got really stuck in, and we must have written and recorded at least half an hour of the show. Mm. And uh, and then someone finally got through to Bill. This was a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> we really we were bitterly resentful about the fact he succeeded in convincing him of this. But he was absolutely right. It was a terrible idea. He was he was going to get shot down in flames. You know. So, so kind of at that stage, it was actually going to be a rework of the Joseph story. Is that right? Wow! Not people know that. No, that's, wow. that's very interesting. So did you manage to recycle songs for, for its later well, incarnation? We, we recycled, I believe, My Dreams in its right. complete form. We just found a way of including that. It, it was vague enough. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it was easily, you know, transplanted. Uh, there was one other um, major piece, the one that uh, uh, is King Richard. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, was originally conceived as as the uh, uh, Joseph and his sons, you know, whatever. It ah, mm. the kind of the list, the list song, if you like, where you sort of, yeah, okay, right. Yes. So, so we had this brainstorm of that. Uh, so we actually did uh, recycle some of that music. We, we, we actually managed to sell it. But to be honest with you, lyrics is where all the work is. That's what takes all the time. So, you know, we, we did recycle some of the music. Well, those two bits. Well, when did you, or who came up with the idea of Robin Prince of Sure with oh, them? When did uh, that was uh, Bill? Bill's okay, I see. Right, <laughs> yeah, that 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 idea's got legs, hasn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it wasn't the first time it had been done, and, uh, so it's one of those stories pops up every now and again. Loads of movies and all that sort of thing. But yeah. uh, anyway, we we got stuck in, and we had this glorious six months in which everything we, we we would do run song at a time you know and we would take it into bill he was just enamored by it. he just he was we, we just got a raw that touched the raw nerve mm. for him he was he just loved loved what we did so there was a wonderful feeling in the course of writing this that everything that you know that we could do no wrong and we knew this was going to go on stage that it wasn't the kind of yeah 
I've written sub sub subsequently, as you know, that uh, you, you hope and you pray that it's But this, we just knew it was going to happen. We knew it because he was, he was, it was all, it was all, and it, it, in fact, it happened incredibly quickly. Really, looking back at it, unprecedented. I would think from the moment of conception, the moment of going on stage was really remarkably short time. Hmm. Uh, uh, and it was, it, it was good in many ways. I think Pete and I forged an incredibly close friendship during that time, working day and night. And it just happened to be the time I was also falling in love with my current wife, Heather, uh, who was, and so it, it was incredibly blissful domestic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we, we just had an absolute ball. It was just wonderful. Fantastic, and um, those recordings that that we've that we've heard that, that once you were kind enough to send us, Rick, were they the original recordings that you and Peter put together? And, and what what was the the cast of musicians on those demos? Was it largely you? Uh, it was. I played all the instruments, and Pete sang all the lead vocals, and we did the backing vocals together. Right, Pete was so good at conjuring up all these different characters. So he's playing. He's playing Friar Tuck and the Sheriff of Nottingham yeah. and all that. He, he even plays, plays Morgana. Wow! Um, wow! He, he, the other person he doesn't play is, is, is Marion. Right. That's an extraordinary think, range of voices, isn't it? Really it's incredible. Business. And, he, and he, he managed to create these, these characters and stay in character for the whole song. I don't know, he was brilliant at it. So, I mean, you know, so I, I never needed to step up uh, as, as a character. Obviously we did lots of backing vocals together, it was big production stuff. You'd, you'd, you'd have made a great little John, I think, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> boom, yeah. boom. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we never did get a cast album. It was one of those things that was talked about, but it was going to be uh, Bill was going to have to stump up a lot of money to make it happen. I think often the the original, the original is the best in terms of recording a musical. I think where you have the score done before it goes on stage, it's often the best version somehow because it's fresh. Uh, well, we really we put a lot into it, and, and yeah. I think we did, we did make a really good recording. Yeah. I doubt it have ever improved on, to be honest with you. Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, who, who did you do the lyrics together? Because there's a lot of for, for 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 two people writing their first musical, it's very assured. There's lots of different characterisation, a lot of humour in there. Did you work fifty fifty on the lyrics? Or? Yeah, look, I think I. I think people won't mind me saying that I probably got my, got was a bit more hands-on with the lyrics, but that, okay. that wasn't because he wasn't. What would tend to happen is we work all day, we go off to our you know respective beds, we convene in the morning. But my mind would be going all night, yes. so he comes in the morning. I say, oh, that's right, what and he'd say, yeah. "Stop writing, stop writing without me." And um, <laughs> yeah, I was also discovering my capacity for, for writing that kind of humorous lyric 
uh, and which I, which I now be- believe I have got a, a, a bit of a talent for. Dare I say? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've done. I've, I've used that. I, I've exercised that time in a few different areas, but it's mm-hmm. something I particularly enjoy. And uh, uh, but no, he, he was incredibly involved. You know, it was the whole writing of Robin was. was that's what the beauty of it, really. You know, I bounced off his wonderful voice because it, yeah, he, he had a great sense of melody and. Uh, you know, I, I would. I'm not taking. I mean, okay, I probably did write a few more lyrics than him, but right. um, really, it was 100% a joint, a joint enterprise, which was what really made it so great. I mean. I agree with you. He's got an ab- an absolute set of pipes on him, hasn't he, Peter? In- in- incredible range. Um, enjoying listening to the uh, your album uh, and still I fly, which correct me if I'm wrong is a, is a what a compilation of some of the bits and pieces that you collaborated on with him over a, uh, what a number of years. Well, yes, actually most of it, because a lot of the stuff we, we wrote um, for Robin, we actually went off to we went on holiday together to Goa. Mm. Four of us, and we would do quite a lot of bits there, and we'd come and record them, <coughs> um, and we'd end up writing other bits and pieces, you know. Um, so we'd end up, I don't know, we we seem to churn stuff out. Um, mm. So quite a lot of the songs on Still Out Fly were actually written in Go, and then we'd record them. So look, most of them were actually recorded in the early nineties, um, uh, and uh, one or two l- later on. Uh, there was only one song on the, the opening song. Which was actually recorded for another musical, just which was called the River God, based on the book River God. You heard that one, okay? And that's um, that's the duet between Peter and and the female vocalist. Now that's another one of those projects that came from somewhere else, some some production company in Eastern Europe or something. And whatever it was, um, uh, it fell over in the end. Through, right. you know, it's a very, very shame because the idea, and we we were really going well on that. You know, we really got got into it, but it just fell over. Oh. And, uh, um, but uh, so that one, we decided that that song was worthy of putting on the album. But the rest of them really were. Just songs that we things like "Walking a Straight Line" and "No Man's Land" were songs we'd written. Before. Yes, of course. It sounds like you're having an, an awful lot of fun experimenting with different genres, diff, in different styles, um, and I, I like the eclecticism of it. But here's a here's something a thought that occurred to me, uh, Rick, when I was listening to the album a couple of times the other day. There's a, an extremely strong thread of spirituality in the music. It feels to me that half of the songs could well belong to a, a story or even a musical based around uh, God or even, dare I say, the, the, the inner workings of Jesus' mind. Uh, was that a thread in any of these things? Because they're very religious, aren't they?
you know, it's funny, I wouldn't put it quite so strongly, um, but we shared a, um, a, 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 a spiritual, um, how do I put this? Neither of us are, you know, a card carrying anything, you know. Okay, yeah. But we're respectful of it all, and, and you know, uh, spiritual is is a word that fits. Mm. I, I'd say both both of us, but but we don't we don't align with any with any teaching or anything. I, I you know over the in my past I I, I got very uh, very into a, 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 a spiritual teacher called. Uh, Gurdjieff, have you never heard of him? No, I don't think so. Uh, only through Kate Bush, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> she she mentions him in uh, Them Heavy People, actually. Okay. Yeah, she got a coin into as well, I think. But it, this was a very sort of scientific approach to uh, spiritual evolution sort of thing, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, it, it ran its course for me in the end. It just sort of, but it's, the, it's the, the, the belief in something, a universal religion, if you like. And, but I think the, 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 probably what you may be spotting in there that may have come out that way was just a lot of love, yes. actually. Love for each other, love for our partners. And there was just a lot of it about. And, you know, love by it's almost by definition it comes from a spiritual place. Yes. It, it's the... It's the Affirming force of the universe, <laughs> if you want right. me. Out of the countless suns that fill the sky, and of all of the souls who here on earth abide. If I live a hundred years, I swear I'll never understand why an angel came down here from heaven to take me for a man. Yeah, no, I understand. No, no, that. absolutely, and yeah. So, and I, I felt that I might have been reading too much into it, but there, there's some lovely lyrical ideas. Um, an angel came from heaven uh, to make me a man. I think it was, uh, which yeah, felt like it might have been, you know, um, the well, actually, angel that, that, Gabriel that was, or something. No, uh, well, I mean, you know, it, that was a song actually I wrote for, for my wife Heather. Uh, it's, and, it's a lovely song, Rick. Oh, thank you, thank you. And, and Pete wrote one called uh, I'll Be Your Angel or something, but that was actually his song. So some of the songs we did write separately. Mm. And I, of course, wrote a song Ruby May, which was for my daughter. Yes. So we went off and I'll go and call us a bit. I'm not mad, but we, but we felt that the whole general opus was a uh, reflection of, of us and our time together. And our, so yeah, we, we, we consider it a, a, a general co-writing, co-written work. But, sure. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, look, you know, I stand by the lyrics, if you know what I mean. No, uh, but it, it's not, it's not, uh, it certainly isn't isn't Christian per se. It's mm. just, you know. Sure, know. no, no, I, I was just interested in whether or not that was an angle that came from uh, Peter. Um, Peter, it, Peter uh, perhaps went slightly more towards that way. Uh, he, was, <laughs> he was working with Cliff Richard. And yeah, he sounds like <laughs> he sounds like Cliff, doesn't he? Yeah. On a couple of tunes. There's one song I think it's Polly's song, which which I really <laughs> like. Some some unexpected chords in there, but he sounds exactly like Cliff with a vib- kind of kind of um, feathery vibrato. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You are. That was actually a song I wrote for my mother. That was that's also my song. That was. Oh, okay. that, uh, that's Polly was my mother. Yeah. 
it's you And creating for me such a magical life God bless you For sharing my problems, for drying my tears God bless you Oh, that's for your mum. Oh, well, it, it, it's a really uplifting collection of songs. It's, um, I mean, well, how, how come it took so long to come out or be put together? It was shame on us, really. I mean, it, because it, it wasn't written as a one piece of work, it was a collection of songs that all needed a home. Mm -hmm. um, okay. We, we didn't... It ended up taking... It took my son, actually, to say, come on, you know. <laughs> oh. And I thought, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how you're supposed to do this sort of thing. And, and he, he ended up putting it up on um, all the platforms he used on Spotify and the rest of it. And... Uh, you know, I didn't. I'm not expect. I didn't, and I'm not expecting it to, to reach many years because there's too much, yeah. so much stuff out there. What are you going to do? Of course, I'm so course. glad that it is. I'm so glad I can refer people to it mm. because I, I, I am some of my proudest moments, really. Uh, but as much as anything else, it's because of of, of the of, of what a time ta the time in my life that it uh, that it um, you know reflects. Yes. Mm. Uh, but you know, I, I'd love something to happen with it, or something happen with one of them. So I'm not expecting it to. It's just mm. it's, sure. it's lovely is to it, have. Is there any chance of you guys performing it? Uh, not like right now, but when things open up, is that something the two of you would be interested in doing, or uh, you know, gigs based on that collection of songs? I don't think it's ever even crossed my mind. Actually, <laughs> um, you know, I, I'd love to think that there wasn't a reason for doing it, but again, it's in the end you've got to find, think. Well, what's the audience? You know, when you think of the effort that's going to be involved, because we're now we now live twelve thousand miles away. Well, I know. Yeah, but maybe you don't. Maybe you don't think about the audience. Maybe you just do it. I mean, you know, on a small scale or something, and see what happens. No, you're quite right. You know, this. The, the, um, Thank you for putting the thought in my head. We, we, we'd come, Rick, we'd come. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's two. Yeah, there are lots of lots of musical highlights, I think, on, on this collection, Rick, and two of my favourites are there's a song called Night of Love, which I, I like. I like that kind of almost samburi uh, feel it's yeah, got yeah, to. Yeah, I, I like But there's an great. amazing vocal leap that, that Peter does at the end of each chorus where there's there's a, a cheeky little key change right at the end of the chorus, and he leaps. His full voice is, is an incredible range. He doesn't even need his falsetto to get those stupidly high notes. Do you know the bit I'm talking about? It's a, a fabulous little brief key change yeah. where his voice leaps high. Into the night of love. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I do, I do. I mean, he, he, that's actually a very interesting. That stands up to pretty close scrutiny. That song, I think, the, the, the production of that. So I, I love that piece. And I, I, actually, most of that is Pete. I'll give, I'll give I've got to give him credit for that. I, I, I was involved in yeah. the, the assembly of it um, as a structure of the song. But you know, Sean, I must have actually seen Pete sing because. Uh, I saw the Hollies in 2007, and okay. he, he was in the Hollies by then, I think, wasn't he, Rick? That was about then. Oh, was it? Okay. It was about then. 
So I'm not quite sure. Because I think, did he replace Carl Wayne when Carl yes, Wayne died? So, yeah, it, I, I, I was aware that Carl Wayne had died prior mm. to that. So I'm pretty sure it was Peter. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I also really enjoyed what sounds to me, and, and please shoot me down in flames if I'm being overly cheeky here, Rick, but um, some go a gorgeous tribute to Dave Gilmore on Dreams, am I right? My style just happens to be quite like Dave. I mean, you know, I, I, I've got huge respect for Dave, absolutely, and and what a privilege to actually play in the studio with him. That was yeah. yes. I never play guitar with him, but um, no, I, I don't. I, I did not do it as a deliberate homage. Oh, okay. It's just my style. It's, you know, it's it's similar. I mean, you know, but yeah. enough. That that actual piece wasn't really written for that compilation compilation, but. Similar thing occurred to me listening to the album. Thinking, well, you know, if people are going to think of me as a guitarist, this album is not really going to make him do it. <laughs> hey, yeah, right. I'd, I'd had the, the two guitar, the two instrumental pieces on the album were actually pieces that I'd written for, written, uh, written for a documentary called um, Football Dreams. Dig that up. But uh, it, was a, it was all about kids who were trying to get, you know, in England, trying, trying to make it as football players. And um, uh, so both those pieces were sort of ex extrapolations of, of uh, pieces I wrote for that. And, uh, and I, with, you know, Pete's uh, ascent, uh, uh, I included him. And actually, I'm really glad I did. I think, I think they, they're a little distraction and they, and, the, and yeah. they do make a bit more of a point that I play, that I'm, a, a worthy guitar player. Oh, no, too right. Here, here. I, I love them, uh, Rick. I, I, I love the, the delicacy, the, the lightness of touch of the playing on, on those tracks is, is really, and, and I don't, really I don't delicious. Mind at, all, at all being, being, you know, referred to the Dave because I get it all the time on tour. Hmm. Uh, see tours. We, on the occasions, but we haven't done it. Little recently for a while. We used to do the, the signing thing. You know. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Which was, which is actually very nice in many ways. I think the public really, really appreciate you doing it. But it did sometimes. It did feel like you're doing another gig. <laughs> it was, yeah. Uh, but over, over again, I'd get people saying, "Oh man, that bit at the beginning of Art for Art, particularly the beginning of Art for Art, say was a similar kind of yeah, yeah." Music. Uh, uh, and of course, I always got in, in a complimentary way. It was always meant as a compliment, you know, that that I, that, yeah, I was doing a David Gilmore. But it certainly wasn't <laughs> ever intended to, uh, to sure. rip him off. I think I was. Strange enough, we. It's it's more about not you know, I'm not sure what it is because Dave doesn't really use a whammy like I don't. I use a whammy quite a lot, um, but. Somehow or other, we, we, we must have some psychological approach. But, uh, yeah, well, there are similarities, aren't there, I guess? Uh, the, 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 the lovely, gentle pull-offs and things. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful <laughs> technique.
Yeah, thank, well, thank you. I, mean, I, I never think of it. I, I never, I never, Dave was never someone I sat down and copied. In fact, the only person I ever, I ever sat down and copied would have been Eric Clapton, and that would have been when I was 16 or 17. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, even, um, and maybe a little bit of Hendrix, but not much, because, but, and I think probably since then, probably certainly since I've been out of my teens and probably before, I've never actually sit and, and learn anything that any other guitarist has ever done. So, so yeah. I, I can't, so my, my, my technique, whatever it is, has evolved in, intuitively. It, of course, you draw from different people without being conscious of it, but I've never sat down and, and figured out what someone else did. No, absolutely. And, and that comes, that comes across <laughs> in, in the, sheer eclectic, the sheer eclecticism and variety of, of your guitar work on so many records. We're really excited about seeing you next year. What's it been like being part of that new setup? Oh, it, it really has been a, a joy, actually. I, it, I think it's been the, the politics of the band is is, is clear. That that's, it, sometimes that that can be a problem, you know, in a band. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, yeah. The, Graham being the uh, the um, the you know, unquestioned leader of the band, and right rightfully so, completely rightfully so. Uh, but on top of that, there's this sense of, you know, me and Paul have been there for a long time. There's a deep respect, and uh, and it's a very good friendship. You know, Graham's a, like a brother to me. I, I love him really. I do. You know, mm. and uh, and I respect everything he's done. And uh, and I totally respect the the, um, the hierarchy of the band. And and uh, there's there's generally a feeling within the the, the band of everyone being happy with where they are in that hierarchy, mm. which makes for a very happy family. It's a good, I mean, it's not like we live in each other's pockets, you know, we, but we have a lot of laughs and there's very little shit. Really, you know, it's, it's, mm. it's really good. And and I think really we, we, we never stop fine tuning, you know, never. We come off a gig and say, you know, that bit in the, on, that, on the second chorus when you, you, you take a breath there, I think I take that, you know, you know, we're always trying to make it better, and um, that's how much we, we we love it, you know, and and I think I, I'm really proud of the way we represent the music. I think I think personally, I think we probably represent the 10 CC music best it's been in my time, and possibly ever. That's not for me to say. Yeah. Fabulous. Are you going to be giving us any surprises next year, Rick? Are you throwing in any any obscure goodies for the likes of, of geeks <laughs> like Paul and me? I hope we do. Yeah. It, it, that will probably come down from his nibs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope so, because it's, it, it, it's weird, because there is this body of, of hits that uh, it just seems wrong not to play them. Yes. And, um, yes. and we, will, we want to play them, you know. Uh, so there's only some room for so many little uh, little um, variations from that. Of course, I love doing the sheet music tool. It's my favourite ten CC album. Yeah, it's, Dod it's Doddy's, Doddy's favourite as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we've we've talked about doing, you know, maybe doing 
uh, original soundtrack even when we talk about it with Detective Benz but um, yeah. it's quite a lot to take on and I think Graham has misgivings about uh, original soundtrack because because there's so, such a big chunk of it of course was very much a Kevin Lowell yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time it's NCC history um, yeah, that, you know, some of that may come, but no promises about that at all. You know, to start with, it's going to be mostly just us getting back on the horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Horse. Sure. It's been a long time, hasn't it, since you've been able to even, you know, be in the you same know, country together? Well, did, didn't the guys nearly get stranded in Australia? Uh, didn't was oh, the Australian they, tour immediately before the? It was actually, it was actually, we went from New, Australia to New Zealand. Okay. And we all hear it about this forest and think, yeah, come on, get out of here, you know. Yeah. And, and they're touring, they'd be all, they flew straight back to England, flew back to, to Australia. And within a couple of days, uh, New Zealand had closed their borders. We'd have been stuck there. Yeah. And if, yeah. honestly, if it, if I, if it had been a couple of weeks later, I would have, you know, headed off to England for the Europe tour. Yeah. I'd have been stuck there with no tour. So really, yeah. the timing could have been a lot worse. Really, sure. a lot worse. I mean, right now we've now got an outbreak in Byron Bay, mm. which has caused the whole thing, the whole town, to close down. It's all masks. It's all everything's shut. The borders are shut. It's, this is all because of one person that came down from Queensland and spread it all around town. We're still waiting to find out how bad it is, but you know, it mm. could well be our turn. You know, so you guys are hopefully we all become you know, singing and dancing in June and. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, the sun, the sun, the sun came out yesterday. We had the first warm day in England for like six or seven months, so that was nice. Yeah, least. and of course, yes, oh. the parks are, are, are full of people, you know, shoulder to shoulder, um, yeah, know, breathing each other's air and dropping litter. But hey ho, don't start me off. But uh, no, fantastic. Um, a, a brief aside, Rick, is do you have any audio for Androcles and the Lion? Do you have any? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear some of that because. Um, as you know, David Jarvis, about a year ago, Dave sent me these obscure fi- files. Ancient floppy disks, weren't they, or something? Yeah, uh, it, very, very bizarre. And I, I actually <laughs> I, I, I bought a little floppy disk drive and downloaded this kind of safe cracker software to f- try and find out what the hell these files were. And it was, uh, and suddenly up pops the artwork for Androcles and the Lion. Uh, which I'm, 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 I'm assuming you got safely and everything, uh, and I'm just intrigued to hear some of that stuff. What, what was it like? Oh, hail, oh, hail, mighty Caesar! Oh, hail, oh, hail, His Majesty the Emperor of Rome! Give unto Caesar Augustus any slaves you've had enough of, and we'll dispatch them down to Hades while we go up a semitone. Well, it was. It was the only other musical that Pete and I completed, and it was for Bill Kenwright, and it was all on target to go, uh, but then 9-11 happened, oh. and basically that just completely scuppered the whole of, of the West End, which wasn't necessarily where our show was going to start off anyway, mm. but it was a it was a core part of, of Bill Kenwright's uh, financial enterprise. Yeah, uh, uh, um, yeah so empire and so it it's upset everything to the, to the point that it got stuck up on a shelf mm. and it was so long it just started gathering dust and before and suddenly it mm. just it was lost it was it was terrible oh. it, i'm very pleased with it I, I loved it it was recorded it was a still you'll recognize 
style, <laughs> our style. Yeah. But I, I admit that I really, really like it. I'm very proud of it indeed. So I will send you a Dropbox. Oh, great. Thank Looking you very much. Thank you very much. Look, Rick, this has just been such a pleasure for us, and uh, it's been fascinating. Thanks so much for spending so so much time and being so honest about about your amazing career. I, I hope you've had fun as well. I've loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope I haven't put my foot in it too much, and I'm getting lawsuit. It didn't feel to me like there was anything worth uh, litigating you for, Rick. To be honest. I think you'll get away with it myself. Let's finish this business without any fuss. There's treachery in the house. But so take care, Rick. We'll see you next year, all right? Yeah. I look forward to meeting you in person sometime. Yes. That would be wonderful. Likewise. All that right. would be great. Good Thank stuff, you so Rick. much, Rick. Thank you. Cheers. See ya. Cheers. See ya. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening